Good morning. Who can tell me where we left Elijah last time? What was going on with Elijah last time? Yes. He, he was running. That's right. Who was he running away from? Who remembers that? William, who was he running away from? Jezebel. Jezebel. Who's Jezebel? Ahab's wife. Ahab's wife. And who's Ahab? The king of Israel. You're right. He's running for his life. Things are pretty bad up in the northern kingdom, aren't they? And Jezebel, you see her last words, sent him a message. Well, they weren't her last words. <laughs> Wish they were her last words. First uh, Kings 19, chapter 19, verse 2, it says, Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, so let the gods do to me and more also if I make not thy life as the life of one of them, the prophets of Baal, by tomorrow about this time. What had happened to the prophets of Baal? Who remembers what had happened to the prophets of Baal? This is really important. If you don't know what happened to the prophets of Baal, yes, yes, William, they were killed. That's right. They had been executed that day. And when the news reached Jezebel, she was furious. And she was determined that she was going to kill Elijah. Now, how many of you think that's going to happen? Really? You guys are all optimists. How do you know it's not going to happen? You've been reading ahead. I hope you've been reading ahead. I hope that's why you know that this doesn't happen. But for the moment, let's forget that we know what happens. Elijah is running away from Jezebel. And who's to say he is any different than all the other prophets of the Lord? Because as far as he knows, hundreds of other prophets of the Lord have been murdered by Jezebel already. So why should he be any different? You know, we read in Hebrews chapter 11 of these men of faith, and Elijah is one of them named in Hebrews chapter 11. He was a man of faith. Well, it also talks about in Hebrews chapter 11 the others who were killed because of their faith. There were hundreds of prophets of the Lord whose names we don't even know, whom Jezebel had massacred. Why would anything be any different for Elijah? He doesn't have a promise from God guaranteeing his safety like Paul did. There's nothing that guarantees that he's going to be protected from Jezebel. She's massacred hundreds of the prophets of the Lord. What's going to be different with him? Why would anything be different with him? So what's going to happen to Elijah? Well, I'm not going to tell you this week. You're going to have to keep waiting. Because I want to leave for you here in Israel what's going on with Elijah and Ahab and Jezebel. And I want to go down south. I want to go to the kingdom of Judah. And I'd like for you to take your Bibles this morning and turn to Romans chapter 12. And you might be thinking, wait a minute, preacher. Romans chapter 12, what's that have to do with the kingdom of Judah? Well, Romans chapter 12 gives us a perspective of some very important things that will help us as we look back in history and we learn about some kings in Judah. Romans chapter 12 is a famous, famous chapter as it speaks of the church and it speaks of how we interact with each other. But first and foremost, it speaks of how we need to be viewing ourselves before God. Romans chapter 12, the apostle Paul is writing to the church at Rome. And he is beseeching them. That means he's begging them. That means he's asking them with great earnesty, really passionate. And he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, 
that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. He's writing to the brethren. That means he's writing to Christians. He's writing to believers. And he's begging them to present themselves as living sacrifices. When you offer a sacrifice, you relinquish full control over that and dedicate it to the Lord. That's why many sacrifices were burned up. Here now, this is a living sacrifice, relinquishing full control to the Lord. Your life as one holy set apart, one who is acceptable, this acceptable unto God, and that's only possible because of Jesus. And this is but your reasonable service. He goes on, and be not conformed to this world. Don't look like the world. You're different because you need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So don't be conformed to look like and to act like and to talk like the world. Instead, be transformed. This is a transformation that's like when a little caterpillar transforms into a butterfly. Be transformed into something different by the renewing of your mind. And that's done by the Holy Spirit speaking through his word. That you may prove and know that what is the acceptable, the perfect will of God. I, I want to preach the whole chapter this morning, but we don't have time to preach the whole chapter. But I want to read it at least. Because it lays a foundation and let the Holy Spirit do just this. And lay this foundation, which is a New Testament foundation, that then we can, as the New Testament teaches us, look back to all the things that were written aforetime, written for our learning, and be able to see how we can learn from these people in the Old Testament. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, though the grace be given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we be many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. For we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the portion of faith. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. Or he that teacheth on teaching. Or he that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor, preferring one another. Not, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. Distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. And so now, let us go back in history to Judah. Let's look at our timeline. We have the united monarchy, Saul, David, Solomon. Kingdom divided. Northern kingdom Israel, southern kingdom Judah. And we have down here these southern kings. Now we've been spending some time up here with Ahab and Elijah, right? Are things very good up in the northern kingdom? Yes or no? No. There's a famine. 
Now, the famine lasted three years. And where that fell exactly here in the timeline, we don't know. How did it fall in relation to the southern kingdom? I mean, these guys are living here at the same time. How did it fall down here? We don't know. And some of the events we're going to look at today, um, we don't know how they fall and how they compare to what was going on in the northern kingdom. You see, when Ahab took over, the northern kingdom was powerful. The northern kingdom was wealthy. The northern kingdom had influence throughout the world. Foreign kings, they found archaeological records of them referring to Israel, not as Israel, but as the land of Omri. And the title actually stuck for more than a hundred years. The land of Omri. So that's Ahab's dynasty here. His father's name was Omri. But due to that famine, the economy of the northern kingdom crashed. We already know that the spiritual condition of the northern kingdom is disastrous. 850 missionaries, pagan missionaries, have been brought into the land. 400 prophets of Baal and 450 prophets of the groves. That's another way of referring to Ashtaroth which is a pagan, despicable God. And so Israel is a disaster, an absolute disaster. Could I have King Ahab and Queen Jezebel come up here just to, just to help me out here in these different process of understanding what's going on here? We're going to have some comparisons. And um, these, this king is going to sit here in his throne with his queen, Jezebel, and um, they're pretty bad, aren't they? Omri was said to be worse than all who came before him in Israel. Ahab then comes, and he's said to be worse than all that came before him. Things are not good in the northern kingdom. But let's go down to the south. About here, about the end of Asa's reign and the beginning of Jehoshaphat's reign. What's going on down there? Well, you remember that Asa was for the most part a good king, right? Right? But he had some problems, didn't he? In fact, Second Chronicles gives us some pretty clear, honest commentary on him and history of how he even treated uh, prophets of the Lord. He had some problems. But for the most part, King Asa was a good king. And you see, he lived a long time. Remember all the unbelievable things that took place in the north? I mean, we, we have, he was alive during the last few years of Jeroboam. He had conflict with Jeroboam. And all this history we learned about in the northern kingdom all took place during Asa's reign. Now, who was playing Asa for me last time? Who was playing Asa? I don't know. I don't know who was playing. Okay, who wants to play Jehoshaphat? Jack wants to play Jehoshaphat. Okay, Jack. You play lots of characters. He's willing to offer himself. Now, tell me, is Jehoshaphat a good king or a bad king? You don't know if you yourself are a good king or a bad king? He was a good king? Well, let's find out. We've got the northern king and his queen over there. And we've got Jehoshaphat, and he's here in the southern kingdom, here of Judah. Things are a mess over here. Wicked, 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 wicked king and queen and nation. Asa, your father, died. Remember, he was diseased in his feet. So if you look here at the timeline, that's one reason why there's that little, like, L shape there is that there's believed to be a co-regency there. A co-regency means two kings ruling at once um, because he needed help. And so it's very likely that there was a three-year or more co-regency that took place there in Jehoshaphat's reign. So is Jehoshaphat going to be a good king? I mean, we've already looked and seen Rehoboam. Was Rehoboam a good king? No. Now, was Abijam a good king? No. But Asa was a good king, for the most part, right? Even though he took a prophet of the Lord and threw him in jail, and that's the last we ever hear of that prophet. 
Even though, as it tells Second Chronicles chapter 16, that when he was old, he was diseased in his feet, yet he sought not the Lord, but the physicians. He was determined, he, he had a problem in his relationship with the Lord. So how do you think his son is going to turn out? How do you think Jehoshaphat is going to turn out in all of this? Well, it tells us in 2 Chronicles. Are you there? Can you turn with me to 2 Chronicles? See, we have to leave 1 Kings and go over to 2 Chronicles here because this is the only record of it. It's not recorded in 1 Kings, a lot of this information, besides just that he became king. But there's a lot of information here recorded in 2 Chronicles 17. And sometimes we might overlook what's recorded in 2 Chronicles because I'll be candid. There's some hard names in this chapter. And there's actually a lot of detail. And you might think, well, what's the big deal about that? And just, what's this and that? Well, just a little bit of information we get here is really important for us to understand who this man is and to understand famous events that will come later in history. I'll be candid, when I was a kid, I knew Jehoshaphat was a good king because the Bible said he was a good king. But I always... I had trouble with Jehoshaphat. I always wondered, how was he a good king? Because maybe only things you know about is him is some of the bad things he did. Well, this chapter we're going to look at today speaks of some of the good things that he did. For it tells us in 2 Chronicles chapter 17, verse 1, that Jehoshaphat, Asa's son, reigned in his stead, and he strengthened himself against Israel. He strengthened himself against Israel. You know what that means? That means that Israel, over here, was giving him a hard time. There was trouble. Or at least threats of trouble. And so he strengthened himself against Israel. And how did he do that? Well, it tells us in verse 2 that he placed forces in all the fenced cities of Judah, and he set garrisons in the land of Judah and in the cities of Ephraim. Now you say, wait a minute, Ephraim? Now do you know your geography? Ephraim is in the northern kingdom. And yet, Je Jehoshaphat is putting garrisons in the cities of Ephraim? Well, look here at the next phrase which Asa, his father, had taken. Remember that? Asa had gone forth in his battles with Baasha and had conquered some of the cities of Ephraim. And so the kingdom of Judah has moved north and Jehoshaphat is strengthening himself against Ahab. Ahab's a powerful king when he starts. And it tells us in verse 3 that the Lord was with Jehoshaphat. Now, I told you this chapter had some treasures in it, didn't I? That's a treasure. If someone was writing the history of Nathan, wouldn't it be awesome if in that history it said, and the Lord was with Nathan? How would you like it when your obituary is written that it says, and the Lord was with him? The Lord was with her. Did you know that can be possible? Did you know that? Just as it was true for Jehoshaphat, the Lord can be with you. The Lord can be with you. We'll come back to that. Well, it tells us that he walked in the first ways of his father's David and sought not unto Balaam. He walked in the first ways of David, his father. The first ways, those were the priorities of David, his father. These were what were important to David. David, who was described as a man after God's own heart. Jehoshaphat, are you a man after God's own heart? Are you a boy or a girl, a man or a woman, 
after God's own heart? Is God first in your life? You see, over here in the northern kingdom, Baal is worshipped. Not just by the king and queen, but by the majority of the land, majority of the nation. And its influence comes down into the southern kingdom. But in spite of that, Jehoshaphat, he walks in the ways of the Lord and not in the ways of Balaam. It says in verse 4 that he sought to the Lord, God of his father, and he walked in his commandments and not after the doings of Israel. You see, he had the law of God. He had the word of God. And he walked according to those commandments. And he did not walk according to the ways of Israel. But tell me, in whose ways is Israel walking? Not the Lord's ways. And truth matter is not even Israel's ways. Israel is walking according to the ways of the Zidonians. The Baal worshipers of the north. They, they are not transformed by the renewing of their mind in the word of God. Instead, they are conformed to the world around them. You see, Jehoshaphat, on the other hand, is not being conformed to the world around him in the worship of Baal, but as he is in God's commands, God's laws, he is serving the Lord. He is serving the Lord, and he's walking in the commandments of the Lord. This is so important. It was important for Jehoshaphat. And you know what? It's important for us. The characters and the people have changed, but the principles and the truths have not. It's still, still, still the same. Well, it says that because here he is seeking the Lord, the Lord has drawn nigh to him. I'm quoting from James in there. And here it says, therefore, verse 5, the Lord established the kingdom in his hand. So sometimes you know when there's a change of authority, when there's a change of power, as such as happened here between his father Asa and now Jehoshaphat, there can be some troubles in the kingdom. There can be some problems. But as Jehoshaphat has committed himself to serving the Lord, the Lord establishes him as king, confirming, validating him as the king of Judah. But not only this, not only is he established in the kingdom in his hand, but it tells us that all Judah brought to Jehoshaphat presents, and he had riches and honor in abundance. You all going to bring King Jehoshaphat presents? You all going to bring him riches and glory? All Judah did. He not only had the kingdom established, but he became wealthy. He's now wealthy and powerful. Now, where does this take place in the reign of Ahab? And compared to the famine that took place in the northern kingdom and its utterly crushed economy? I don't know. I wonder, though, maybe, if it happened at the same time. We know that a lot of these events took place within the first few years of Jehoshaphat. Whether or not it was the first three years after he became Sol Rex, the one single king, or if it was as he was once his father had died, it's not real clear. But here he is, a wealthy, powerful, powerful, powerful king. Now, I want to tell you about something else that the Bible warns about powerful, powerful kings. Do you remember over in 2 Timothy, Paul gave him, Timothy, some instructions in how he was supposed to teach people? Over in 1 Timothy, I, I should say, it says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, and that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. Communicate doesn't mean to just have a conversation, but to help, to feel 
practically the pains of others. Laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. You see, charge them that are rich because so often when you become rich and stable, and just as a secret, if you're an American and you have the privilege even to live in America, you're rich. If you are not afraid of where tomorrow's meal is going to come from, you're very rich. The largest majority of the world doesn't know where tomorrow's food is going to come from. We are rich. Charge them they're rich that they be not high-minded. Remember over there in Romans chapter 12, it says, For I say, though the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, that he think not of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. So often we get rich, we get powerful. And what happens? We get a big head. That's one way we put it nowadays. Or another way is we lift ourselves up. We view ourselves as great. We are lifted up. So often in the Bible, the phrase of being lifted up is speaking of pride and arrogancy, which comes before destruction and a fall. Being lifted up. It's very easy when you're rich, isn't it? So what's going to happen to Jehoshaphat? Well, here's Jehoshaphat. What's it say? Look here. Look here at verse 5. It says, The Lord established the kingdom in his hand, and all Judah brought to Jehoshaphat presents, and he had riches and honor in abundance. And his heart was lifted up. Oh, no. Or is it, oh, no? How many of you know? What was his heart lifted up in? Oh, I got ahead of myself, didn't I? I was so convinced that rich people always get lifted up. I'm convinced that that was going to happen with Jehoshaphat. But no, here we've got a really rich guy who is lifted up by the Lord. And now it says his heart was lifted up. Look at this next phrase. In the ways of the Lord. Wow. It reminds me of James. Let's turn over to James real quick. You have to see this. You have to see, see this in your Bible. In James chapter 4 and verse 5, it tells us this. James 4, 5. Do ye think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy. We all have a human spirit. I believe this is a human spirit, lower, lowercase s, as it's, I believe, properly translated in the King James. The spirit within us lusteth to envy. Envy is always used in context of the Bible negatively. This is the only questionable passage. So instead of allowing the questionable passage to mean one thing, let's assume that it is negative. Envy is the, is the lusting, the desiring after something that's not yours. It's a heart condition. It's not good. It's one of the things that leads to pride. And considering this fact, we got to recognize that the spirit within us lusteth to envy. Lusteth to envy. But he that is God giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. We are seeing that happen in Jehoshaphat's life. Jehoshaphat here is lifted up in the ways of the Lord. The Lord has lifted him up, risen him to a position of power, honor, 
and wealth. And instead of being lifted up in pride, he is lifted up in the ways of the Lord. So much so, here this is. This is speaking of, in a way, it's interesting of the lifting up. Because so often lifting up causes pride that causes people to go around, uh, go around um, thinking of themselves better than they ought and putting other people down. Here in this case, it's a similar aspect of, of, of um, <laughs> confidence. But instead of it being confidence in what is wrong, it's a confidence in what is right. For he goes on and he took away. Moreover, took away the high places and the groves out of Judah. So even all of the worship of Baal that has come down from Israel, that's come down from the Zidonians, that has infiltrated the kingdom of Judah, he now, when his heart is lifted up in the ways of the Lord, goes out and he tears them down. The high places of pagan worship, the groves, the trees that were planted to worship and do all unspeakable, unimaginable, abominable wickedness under. He tears them, cuts them down. And it tells us, verse 7, also in the third year of his reign, so he's established, and right off, within the first three years, he sends princes Excuse me, and then they're named. There are five of them. So we need five princes. Who wants to be five princes? Okay, let's see. We're going to have to double, double up on some things here. Elijah, Nathan, Micaiah. I don't know your guys' names. You want to come help me? Yeah, come, come. You can come help me. Okay? Nathan, come. Micaiah, come. You just come stand up here around, around his majesty, King Jehoshaphat. Got one, two, three, four. What's your name? Nicholas. Ah, that's a royal name. That sounds like a prince. Well, now you know what? You're Prince Nicholas. That sound cool? Yeah. Five princes here. Five princes with the king. And the king has a job for you. You know princes don't just sit around and have fun all day. No, they, they do important things. And Jehoshaphat has a very important job for these five princes. Look with me here at chapter 17 of 2 Chronicles in verse 7. For it says that in the third year of the reign, of his reign, he sent to his princes, even Ben-Hael and Obadiah and Zechariah and Nathaniel and Micaiah. That's your new names. Sorry, you lose the name Nicholas. I like the name Nicholas. That's a cool name. But here's you got a new name. These five princes. And what do you think he's going to tell these guys to do? You know, we think of this. Maybe he's going to send them out to tax the people. Maybe he's going to send them out. No. What did these guys do with their five princes? Over here, they've been sending people out to murder the prophets of the Lord. That's what's been going on over here. What's Jehoshaphat going to do? What's he going to give? What job is he going to give to these five princes? Well, let's look. He says that these five princes are to go, and look at the end of verse 7, to teach in the cities of Judah. You're going to be appointed to establish a teaching ministry throughout the cities of Judah. Now, what are you going to teach? To be nice. To be nice. That's a good thing to teach people. Now, when we think of, of schools, we think of government-funded education. We think of things like reading, writing, arithmetic, math, sciences, those kinds of things, right? You think that's what you guys are going to teach? Well, if you look further down on this, it tells us that what they're going to teach is the book of the law of the Lord. These five princes are being set up and established to go forth and teach in the cities of Judah. But you're not going to go alone. You know what? Because you need some helpers. And I think that Jehoshaphat has been reading his Bible because 
there's a certain group of people who have been appointed to teach the law of the Lord. Does anybody know who they are? What are they called? Hannah? Priests is right. And priests are from what tribe? Help her out. Who knows? Brother Ray. The Levites, that's right. Well, there's a difference, by the way, between Levites and priests. Priests are Levites, but not all Levites are priests. Only those who are descendants of Aaron are priests. Well, here he's not only going to send these princes, but with them, verse 8, he sent Levites. And he goes through and names them. You know how many there are? Nine of them. Five princes along with nine Levites, are set to go. But not just these. For verse 9 tells us that they took in Judah and had the book of the law of the Lord with them and went about through all the cities of Judah and taught the people. Because they also had, I skipped, I, I, didn't, I should have read all of eight. Eight has all the names of these nine. And then it has Elishama and Jehor, Jehoram who were priests. Here we got one. Who wants to be his other one? Anybody wants to be priest? You want to be priest? Yeah. Come on up. Grab the book of the law there. Okay? So right here, the, the scroll. The scroll of the law. So we've got five princes, nine Levites, two priests. And now they're going to go throughout the land, supported by his majesty, King Jehoshaphat, to teach the law of the Lord contrast the two kingdoms. Here we have a kingdom conformed to this world. The pagan false religion of the Zidonians has infiltrated the kingdom from the highest to the lowest. By the way, I'll tell you a little secret. We won't tell Jezebel this, but there's still a lot of people who haven't bowed to her false god. There's still a remnant up here of good God-honoring people like Elijah, like Obadiah. But we won't tell her that. They're out there actively oppressing the prophets of the Lord. Meanwhile, over here, we have begun an organized, systematic strategy of teaching people the law of God. Which, by the way, is the exact thing needed to protect them from what's over there. Remember, we're not conformed to this world, but we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. Remember I told you, that is the Holy Spirit using God's word to bring about a change in the way that we think. You need a change in the way you think? God's word. And pray that his Holy Spirit teaches you. And you know, This is coming right from how God said it should be. Turn with me over to Leviticus chapter 10. Leviticus chapter 10, and look with me in verse 8. Here, an instruction is given. It says, And the Lord spake unto Aaron. So this goes back in history to the time of Moses and Aaron. The Lord spake unto Aaron, saying, Do not drink wine or strong drink, thou nor thy sons with thee, when thou go into the tabernacle of the congregation, lest ye die shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. And that ye may put a difference between holy and unholy, and between unclean and clean. And that ye may teach the children of Israel all the statutes. That's God's word, his commandments. Which the Lord has spoken unto them by the hand of Moses. Here's the instruction. It is the priests and the Levites also, their job is to go forth and to teach the law. But you know, it's not just limited to Levites. Because over in Deuteronomy chapter 6, we find out that it's extended to a whole lot more people, particularly parents. For parents are admonished in Deuteronomy chapter 6 that they teach who God is, having a right heart, to their children diligently. And that they talk of God's words with them when they sit in thine house He says, when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Moms and dads, you know what was going on here? These princes were organizing these Levites and priests to go forth and teach the people. 
But according to Deuteronomy 6 and what I see happening here, it wasn't just this little group of people teaching. It was these people teaching other people who were teaching their children and teaching other people. That's what was going on here. And it's not just the Old Testament way of doing things. If we turn on over in to the New Testament and we come to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, Paul is writing to his dear beloved son, wasn't really a son, but son like a son, Timothy. And he says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Faithful men teaching, faithful men that they may teach others also. Do you see how this is happening? His majesty the king directing the princes, directing the Levites and the priests to go forth and teaching the people. And then looking at the whole big picture, they then teaching the people their children. This is true in the church. That's what 2 Timothy is describing here. And if we were to turn the page over to Titus, we find the same thing. Given not just to pastors, because it does start with pastors. Here it says, but speak thou, Titus 2 verse 1, speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. Doctrine is teaching. Sound is healthy. Healthy teaching. And then it goes on. That the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith and charity and patience. The aged women likewise, that they be in behaviors becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given too much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. You see, we have again this teaching ministry of the older women teaching younger women, the older men teaching the young men. It's all being, it's what's being exemplified here in this structure. Now, where are you in this picture? Now, let me start with these kids up here. You guys might think, well, I'm not one of those that teach yet. And in some ways, you're not. Because James chapter 3 warns us that there be not many masters among you. Masters means teachers, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. Being a teacher is an important job. It's not something you just flippantly do. and It's not about just spewing and, and proclaiming your own opinions. Make sure your opinions are in harmony with God's opinions and God's ways. It's an important job to be a teacher. It doesn't mean that we should shy away from it. And so, in a sense, maybe you guys aren't the teachers. But are you learning to grow up to be teachers. And even when you do have little opportunities to teach, because you might not even realize it, but even this guy right here, as little as he is, is teaching other people. Even this week, he taught me things that I didn't know. Spiritually. Real. We can learn from each other. Are we all learning? And are we all teaching? Are we being very specific about it. Are we as specific about teaching character and God's word and God's law as faithful are we, we are as making sure our children know how to read and do basic math? I hope it's a whole lot bigger priority that we are teaching character and godliness, teaching God's word as a great as, or greater of a priority than of basic academics. But let's turn back to 2 Chronicles. We have all of this taking place. All of this taking place. And it tells us in verse 10 that the fear of the Lord fell upon all the kingdoms of the lands that were round about Judah so that they made no war against Jehoshaphat. The kingdom now is established in his hand and there's no war. There's peace. Because the kingdom's all around you. Fear the Lord. You see, I love that. I love it. They don't fear Jehoshaphat. They fear the Lord. Why? Because Jehoshaphat fears the Lord. And because Jehoshaphat is trusting in the Lord. And guess what? The nations know it. They're not fearing Jehoshaphat. They're fearing the Lord. And that's a really good thing. That's a really good thing. 
But it wasn't just that. It wasn't just that there was no war. For it tells in verse 11 that some of the Philistines, okay, there hasn't been peace with the Philistines since the days of David. And even then it was a little bit shaky. The Philistines brought Jehoshaphat presents and tribute of silver. And the Arabians brought him flocks, 7,700 rams and 7,700 he goats. And Jehoshaphat waxed exceeding great, or waxed great exceedingly. And he built in Judah castles and cities of stores. And he had much business in the cities of Judah. He had a booming economy, a booming economy. I don't know what's happening up in Israel. I know Israel started off with a booming academy. I feel sorry for you guys. Thanks for playing along here, getting picked on all day. I don't, I don't, I, they started off with a booming economy up in Israel. When it crashed with the famine, I don't know. But it took years for them to recover up in the north. Booming down in Judah. I mean, there's, there's, there's all this city and business and cities are being built. You see this here? He's building castles and cities of store. You know what that means? He has so much wealth and riches that he has to build special buildings to hold it all. Wow. And then it goes on and it speaks of his military. He, he has in Judah, verse 14, 300,000. 15, 280,000. Verse 16, another 200,000. Then of Benjamin, he has 200,000. And then 180,000. And all put together, he has 1.16 million soldiers in his army. Powerful, great, wealthy, and a man who was going forth teaching the people God's ways, trusting in the Lord. Now you might say, Pastor, didn't you say you had trouble with Jehoshaphat when you were a kid? Yeah, because I never read 1 Kings chapter 17. I mean, I maybe read it, but I probably wouldn't pay attention because he's, I, I, you notice I even still skip the names. I don't like names. They're hard. Sometimes we're tempted to skip things. We miss things doing that. But um, we do know the history of 18. All this is going great. Powerful, rich, wealthy, peace with all your kingdoms. You've strengthened yourself against Israel. Everything's going great. You trusting in the Lord? Are you conformed to this world? Are you transformed? Well, you know what? Even if you or I find ourselves walking with God and lifted up in the ways of the Lord, you know, we still have an adversary who's still going around tempting us. And we still have the world around us pressuring us. And there's still a part of us that's not right. And we've got to be on guard. We've got to be on guard. I don't want to read chapter 18. But I want you to look at just the first chapter, first verse. Now, Jehoshaphat had riches and honor in abundance and joined affinity with Ahab. What? Be not conformed to this world, be separate, be holy. You did what? Do you know what it means to join affinity? Do you, how many, do any of you know? You boys know? What's it mean? To join up and not have war. That's part of it. But that's not all of it. It's not just a peace treaty. It's more than just a peace treaty. Do any of you others know? He joined in affinity. How many of you know? Oh, good. Some of you know. It means that he married his crowned prince... To their princess. And normally I don't tell you ahead of the story, but today I'm going to tell you ahead of the story. See that timeline? Do you see the dynasty of David in the purplish blue? You see a little block of green in there? That's this princess, Athaliah. He married his crowned prince. Why would, you, why would you do that? You know how many times I need to be asking myself that question? Stephen, why did you do that? You know better. You know that's not God's way. Why did you do that? 
Why did Jehoshaphat do that? To tell you ahead of the story, Athaliah, mm-hmm. was she worse than Jezebel? We're not going to give you a comparison. Let's just put it this way. They are both bad. Really bad. She was a pagan idolater, worshiping false gods. So he, he trying to make peace, like you said, William. He, he, but it wasn't just a treaty. It was, hey, let's be friends and such good friends. We're going to share grandkids. This will keep us together. This will keep the peace. Tell you how the story. We're totally out of time, but I've got to tell you. Do you know why Athaliah is up there in green? Is that she decided to murder the entire royal family. Everyone in the royal family. Is that affinity? See, it doesn't work. It never has worked. She murders the entire royal family. And the only reason why you see blue continuing, I believe, is because God made a promise a long time ago to David. And I honestly have to say that if it weren't for that promise to David, she probably would have gotten that little baby boy, Josiah. But she missed him. He got away. And he was the only one. How important it is to be on guard. Not in our own strength, but recognizing that we are weak, but God is strong. Great God, we need you today. And may we be lifted up today, not in pride, but in your ways. And for that to happen, Lord, we know we need to humble ourselves under your mighty hand. And so we do that today. We are weak, we are frail. We are prone to fail just as Jehoshaphat was. But you are faithful. So we yield ourselves to you. We pray these things in Christ's name.